This morning, I want to begin with a verse that we started this series with. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 16. You know, later uh, this week, my family and I, we're going to take a little vacation time to just get away. We're going to go down to the beach and, uh, and just enjoy, enjoy the sand a little bit. And as I was thinking about that, I, I, I just wanted to pose a ridiculous question here at the beginning of this message. What are the odds, you think, of us actually getting a chance to see the last wave crash on the eastern coast any any takers on those odds no I, i wouldn't think so either i want you to look at this verse in john chapter 1 and verse 16 because it communicates to us what the grace of god does in our lives it's like a wave that crashes on the ocean and no sooner does it crash that another wave follows it and crashes on the ocean behind it and then another wave after that and endlessly the waves crash grace upon grace the word of god says in john chapter 1 and in verse 16 out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given that's, that's the picture I want you to get in your mind of the grace of God just coming. There was grace already. There was grace that got you up this morning. There was grace that got you this far. But now here comes another wave of grace replacing the grace that's already been given in your life. God's grace wants to overwhelm you. And I hope that as you've listened to the word of God, especially if you've been here for the last couple of weeks and you've even in hearing Chris talk about another dimension of grace a moment ago, the grace of giving, the grace of generosity, everything that God asks of you, he equips you for. That's how good God is. His grace is sufficient, Paul wrote, for our time of need. The Bible says this in Micah chapter 7 and verse 19. It says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's what grace does. When the waves of God's grace crash on the shores of your life, it draws all of the iniquity and sin into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? That redeems us, that saves us, that throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and puts up a no fishing sign. God says they'll never be remembered or brought before me again. That's how awesome the grace of God is in our lives. A a verse that that often uh, is quoted in the church and a very popular hymn in the church was written based on this verse. But the Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3, because of the Lord's great love, We are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. Look at the next verse. It says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we often say it in the King James Version. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, His mercies are new. I want to tell you the mercy of God is great and it rises every morning with the sun in your life. But can I tell you the grace of God goes even farther than the mercy of God? That's how amazing grace is. You see, mercy was willing, when you look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, mercy was willing to welcome the boy back into the house. You remember that story, right? The prodigal son took his half of the inheritance. He went out and he spent it on wild living until he had spent it all and all of his friends left him and he found himself uh, eating with the pigs. Finally, he was humbled enough that he picked himself up 
with his, with his head hung low, he went back to his father's house, hoping to be able to just have a job as a servant. He had come to the rationale that even the slaves in my father's house are living better than I'm living now. Mercy led him back in the house. But how many of you know grace threw him a party? And the father said, go get a robe, put shoes on his feet, put a ring on his finger, kill the fatted calf. He is my son. That's what grace does this morning in our lives. It was the mercy of God as Jesus hung on a cross and he looked at a a thief who was being rightly condemned for his crimes. And that man looked at him and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It was the mercy of God that in that last breath of his life, he received forgiveness. But it was the grace of God. Of Jesus that said, you'll be with me in paradise. See, mercy lets us in. Grace escorts us. I want to tell you the grace of God is so awesome. The grace of God is so powerful in our lives. And so in this series, what I've been doing is really just giving you three ways that grace works. Three ways that grace works. And today I want to talk about that third way. But if you have your Bibles there, would you turn with me to the book of Galatians This is where we've launched from the last two Sundays and we'll begin there again today. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul began with a greeting to the church in verse 3. He said, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. To rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of God and Father. To Him be glory forever and ever. That was grace working in salvation. Grace works for you. To save you. That's what the grace of God does. It was was God's good pleasure, the word says. To pour out his wrath on Jesus instead of us. That's the grace of God working for your life. That's saving grace. Last week we talked about another dimension of the grace of God. And you see it just a couple of verses later. In verse 6, Paul wrote here in Galatians 1 still. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace. Somebody say live in the grace. The one who called you to live in the grace of Christ And now you are turning to a different gospel. The Bible calls us not only to be saved by grace, but to live in grace. This is not grace working for us. This is grace working in us. Not for salvation, but for sanctification. The reality that God loves you and accepts you just the way you are is one complete truth of the word of God. But another aspect of that truth is that he loves you far too much to leave you the way he found you. And so he redeems you. He puts a robe on you. He puts a ring on your finger. He gives you a new pair of shoes. He cleans you up and he pulls up a seat at his table. And the longer that we journey with Jesus in grace, the more our lives reflect his character. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more we talk like him, the more we respond to situations like he does. Why? Because grace is working not just for us, but grace is working in us, not only to save us, but also to sanctify our lives. That's serving grace. Now, in the next portion, 
of Galatians chapter 1, Paul begins to do something. He begins to give his personal testimony. He begins to talk about what God did in his life and how God changed him and how God saved him and how God sanctified him. And and we're not going to read all of it today, but in verse 13, all the way to chapter 2 and verse 10, he gives his testimony. What I want to do is I just want to look at a couple of words. So go with me to verse 13 of Galatians chapter 1. I just want to look at a couple words in his testimony here. He says in verse 13, For you have heard of my previous way of life. Can I just pause and you don't have to answer this out loud because I know the answer. But does anybody here have a previous way of life (laughs) that people have heard about? Maybe even a previous way of life that gave you a reputation that you've had to outlive and, and get over and overcome. Maybe you still have some of those friends that haven't known you in the last little bit. And so when they see you, they still associate you with your previous way of life. And you feel uncomfortable in their presence because you know they're thinking of the old you. Well, Paul had an old previous way of life that he wasn't too proud of. He was a persecutor of the church. And and he wasn't quiet about it. He was notorious. People feared his name. And so when he writes to the church in Galatia, he said, you know of my previous way of life. And they absolutely did. This was a man who persecuted the church. He goes on to tell them, you know, these people that are teaching you uh, that you need to obey the law in order to be saved, they're trying to teach you that you need to do works because the cross was not enough. I used to be just like those people. In fact, I used to be the ringleader. I used to be the best of them. You talk about people that follow the law. I was, I was a Judaizer. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the valedictorian in, fair, in my class. I mean, I, I graduated with top honors. I was the, the most legalistic person you would have ever met. That was my old previous way of life. But look down at verse 15. He says these words. But... When God, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I'm I'm so grateful that the Apostle Paul had a but when God experience. The grace of Jesus Christ called him. He said, God called me by grace. God called me. And his life forever changed. And, and of course, Paul wrote over half the books of the New Testament. He said, you've heard of my previous ways. I want to tell you, you might be here today and, and, and you would maybe even look around this room or at least look within the sphere of your relationships and say, there are people that have heard of my previous ways. And maybe you're not out of the woods yet. Maybe you're living in a lifestyle right now that, that is confining. And we've been talking about all morning in song And in words of exhortation, the grace of God that that breaks chains, that removes bondages, the grace that saves, heals, and delivers. And you might be here today and say, I don't know that grace. I, I haven't experienced that reality. I don't feel the freedom that you're talking about and singing about and thanking God for at the table of communion. I want to tell you this morning, you can have that moment. You can have one of those moments in your life like the Apostle Paul had in verse 15 when he said, But when God called me by his grace. Everything changes in that moment. Now I want to skip down to the last part of his testimony. And I want you to see it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And I want to show you this third way that grace works. Because grace is working today. 
For some of you, he's working to save you. For all of us that are saved, he's working to sanctify us. But he's working in another dimension today. And we see in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. He writes, for God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, if you haven't been a part of our conversation the last couple of weeks, that's going to really jump off the page as awkward to you. But let me just, in short, tell you that there was an understanding that those who were circumcised in that day, he was talking about Jews, people that were a part of the Old Testament covenant. It was a covenant that was established in the right of circumcision. And so he says God called, and not only did God call, but God was working in Peter, the apostle Peter, to minister to the Jews. But then he said, he was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. That's most of us today. Those that weren't born Jewish. Those that can't claim that we're a part of God's chosen people because we were born to God's chosen race. But we were grafted in and and, and Paul said, God was working in me. Now, look at the next verse. He's going to demonstrate the grace here. James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John. Those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they, listen to this part, when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now in short, let me tell you what was happening. There were people that were, that were trying to disqualify Paul's ministry. Saying, saying, who are you to preach? And so again, he's giving his personal testimony. And he said, those men that are the leaders of the church, those men that you so highly esteem, Peter and John and James, those men that walked and talked with Jesus, those men who God is working through, testified that God is working through me also. They testified to the grace, he said. They recognized the grace. And I want to just pose a question for us this morning. When they recognized the grace of God working in Paul's life, what did they see? Was it, was it saving grace? Was it that they just saw that, that God had saved him? I don't think so. I mean, they, they surely saw that. Was it sanctifying grace? Did they say, wow, you know what? God is really changing that guy's life. He used to hate the church and, and boy, he's, he's just a different guy now. The anger issues are gone. You know, he's not dragging folks to jail anymore. He's not beating on anybody anymore. I mean, God's doing a work in his life. No. He said that they recognized Peter as an apostle to the Jews and they recognized the grace of God that called me to be an apostle To the Gentiles. This is not saving grace and it's not sanctifying grace. It's not God working in us. It's not God working for us. This is God's grace working through us. It's serving grace. And I want to tell you this morning that God has a grace for your life that is a grace of service. There's something that he's called you to do. There's some purpose that he has for you in the earth beyond just singing his praises and living a good life. He wants to save you. He wants to sanctify you. And then by his grace, he wants to equip you for service. Now, I want us to look this morning in Ephesians, uh, quickly, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. There was a grace that was given to Paul to serve the church of Jesus Christ. 
And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us what, what this looked like. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. The word of God says in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that, here's the, the reason that God gave those five positions. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Some of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture and you know that what this is referring to is what we call the five-fold ministry. The ministry of the apostles, the prophets, the, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. This was the grace that was on the Apostle Paul's life. And the Bible says that that, that five-fold ministry is given to the church. Maybe you didn't know this, but the, the ministry of the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher is a gift to you. It's a gift to us as the church. It's a gift for the reason of building up the body of Christ. That's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to build you up. I'm trying to get you to understand today that God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to shape you and sanctify you. And he wants to get you in the game. There's a grace that God has put on my life for that task. I heard Marilyn Hickey years ago describe the fivefold ministry this way. She said, she said that the pointer finger is the office of the prophet. Because the pointer finger says, thus saith the Lord. This is what God is saying. She said, the, the middle finger is the longest finger. And that represents the evangelist. Because he reaches those that are the farthest from God. And the ring finger represents the pastor. Because the pastor is married to the church. And the pinky represents the ministry of the teacher. Because it's the teacher that can get into the places that the others can't get into and teach on the details of God's word. You know, Brother Don has an incredible gift of teaching. Just last Sunday, somebody testified. They were leaving Sunday school. Most of you weren't even to church yet. They were walking out of the sanctuary, wiping tears from their eyes, saying, wow, man, his teaching just brought tears to my eyes. The gift of the teacher. And then it was described that the thumb is the most unique and the one that touches all the other gifts. That's the apostle. And God had uniquely gifted Paul to be an apostle to the church. To be an overseer, to plant works, to start new things. And God has given these gifts to the church. It's a grace that was on Paul's life and it was evident to others. Next Sunday, you heard it in the announcements, we're going to have evangelist Ron Rhodes come and preach. I want you to be here next Sunday. Now, I want you to be here every Sunday, but listen why I'm saying this as your pastor. It has nothing to do with communication skills. There's all kinds of people that have different levels of communication skills. It has to do with gifting. There's a gift in Ron's life that's not in my life to the same measure. Now, Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So we're all called to share the gospel with lost people. But when you get around somebody that has the, the grace of an evangelist on their life, it's just different. It's different. 
I've been in situations where I've listened to somebody that God called to be an evangelist get up and say the same thing that I had said two weeks ago. But when I said it, nobody moved. When they said it, everybody came to the altar, tears flooding down their face, snot bubbles coming out of their nose. I'm, I, I just shake my head and say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Because I've also sat across the table with men like that. And they said, man, I could never do what you do. Like, man, you know, I get to come in and preach the word. And then I pack my suitcase and I get out of there. You got to deal with folks like all the time. But there's a grace on your life for what God's called you to. Be here next Sunday to experience one of the gifts, God's five gifts to the church. But you might be here today and you say, I'm not called to the five-fold ministry. I'm not an apostle, a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist. I don't have one of those gifts in my life. I want to tell you that God has a grace for you to serve in the body of Christ. Whether it's in the five-fold ministry or not, there's a, a gift of service. In fact, we use the term a lot in the church, spiritual gifts. It's a Bible term. We use the word spiritual gifts, discovering your spiritual gifts and using your spiritual gifts. That word in, in the Greek where it was written is the word charismata. And that word comes from the root charis. You want to know what the word charis is? Grace. They're grace gifts. Your spiritual gift is a gift of grace from God. And your spiritual gift is like the, the concrete expression of charis, of grace. When you operate in your grace gift, you demonstrate the grace of God to others. That's, that's what we were experiencing as the ladies led us in worship today. We were just sensing the grace of God. We were feeling the grace of God flowing through their gifts. So quickly, there's five things that I want to tell you this morning about your gift. Not gifts, your gift. I want to tell you five things about your gift. And I'm going to give you the first two together. Number one and two are the distribution of gifts and the diversity of gifts. And I'm going to give them to you together because Paul packs them together in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to turn there with me. We're going to go, it's just to the left of Galatians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to see that this gift, this grace of serving, is for you. The distribution of gifts and the diversity of gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4, here's what it says. There are different kinds, everybody say different kinds. That's diversity of gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. If you like to make notes in your Bible, you ought to just underline Spirit. In verse 5, it says there are different kinds of service. Everybody say different kinds. But the same Lord. So if you underline Spirit in verse 4, underline Lord in verse 5. Verse 6. There are different kinds of working everybody say different kinds of working but in all of them and in everyone it is the same god at work if you underline spirit in verse four and you underline lord in verse five why don't you go ahead and underline god in verse six and we see the trinity at work demonstrating grace in its various forms Different kinds of gifts, different kinds of workings, different kinds of service. And then in verse 7, the next verse, 
Paul makes a purpose statement. He said, this is why the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all at work to give different kinds of works, different kinds of gifts, and different kinds of service to the body of Christ. Look at verse 7. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It doesn't say to some of us. It doesn't say to those in the five-fold ministry. He's talking about the body of Christ. He says, to each one. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So here's what you need to know this morning. First and foremost, you have a gift. If you're saved, if you know Jesus, you're gifted. And I don't just mean you rode the short bus to elementary school. I mean God has gifted you this morning. I'm sorry, this is what I do for a living. So sometimes I have to tell jokes to make it fun for me. So just go along with it, okay? You're gifted by God, each one, not a select few of us. Look at the next verse because I want you to see the diversity. We have talked about already how there's a distribution of gifts, but look at the diversity. It says in verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. That's a gift. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. By that one spirit. To another, verse 10 says, miraculous powers. And to another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another, the interpretation of the tongues. Now, I'm not going to take the time this morning to teach on each of the gifts. That's not really my, my, my desire and my goal today. There's not enough time to teach on all the gifts and, and how they're operated. But what I want you to see out of this text is that there's a multitude of gifts. There's a diversity of gifts. And the Holy Spirit has personally selected gift for you. In fact, that's what the very next verse says. Look at verse 11. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He, the Holy Spirit, He distributes them to each one just as He determines. That means your gift will be given to you specifically for the purpose of serving one another. It's a serving grace. And you received it when you got saved. When you received the Spirit into your life, The spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption. When Jesus became the Lord of your life, he came to live on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit didn't show up in your house empty handed. He came with a gift. He gave you a grace to serve God. He gave you a grace. Listen to this verse. Don't turn to it. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There's, there's diversity of gifts. There's distribution of these gifts. Let me give you three and four together. There's also discovery of gifts. And there's development of gifts. You need to understand these things if you're going to walk in the grace of serving Jesus. There's discovery of gifts and then there's development of gifts. Because the Holy Spirit has personally selected a gift for each and every one of us. We need to learn how to walk in it. And the reason we need to learn how to walk in that gift and operate in that gift is because the body of Christ needs you to. In fact, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 12 to talk about how the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. The eye cannot say to the ear, 
We have no need of you. And the same way we, we wouldn't say that in a practical sense. He says, don't say that in the body of Christ. You might have a different gift than somebody else. They might do things different than you. But you can't say to them, we don't need you. Have you ever, you ever stubbed your toe before? You, you get a revelation from God on how important that little thing is. Right? All of a sudden, you can't do anything without thinking about it. My, my wife stubbed her toe about three weeks ago. She kicked the ottoman in the dark. And, and, and still... It's bugging her. She tried on a pair of shoes the other day. Boy, she got out of those quick. She said, I can't, I can't wear these yet. We can't say to any other part of the body of Christ, I don't need you. We need you to operate in your gifting. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, this is how he begins his dialogue. In verse 1, he says, now brothers, in all sincerity, he says, now brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. I like the, the older translation that says, Now, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Well, I can say amen to that. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. I want you to know what your gift is. I want you to understand that you have one, that God didn't somehow overlook you in the process of saving you. He gave you a gift, and it's unique, and the church needs you to thrive in that gift. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. God has a will for your life. Here's the thing about your gift, though. Discovering your gift from God is a lot like learning how to ride a bicycle. What I mean by that is, is this. I, I, can't, I can't say I've taught my daughter how to ride a bicycle until she can honestly say, I know how to ride a bicycle. So the, the learning and the application have to go hand in hand. I mean, I, I can't say, oh yeah, my, my daughter's only two, but I taught her how to ride a bike. And you say, your daughter can ride a bicycle? Oh, no, 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 I just taught her how to ride a bike. See, it doesn't mean the same thing. So for me to be able to say, I taught her to ride a bike. She has to actually be able to ride a bike. And to be able to ride a bike, she actually has to climb up on the seat and start pedaling and, and going down the road a little ways. That's the way it is with our spiritual gifts. We need to discover those gifts, what they are, and then we need to begin to develop them. There's actually a point where we get up on the bicycle of grace and we begin to pedal. We begin to operate and we begin to do the things that God has gifted us and enabled us to do. And can I tell you, there's a lot of people that say, I don't know what my gift is. And I'll say, well, where do you serve in the church? Well, I don't really do anything because I don't know where my gift is. That's like my daughter saying, well, I don't know how to ride a bike and saying, well, have you tried? Well, no, because I don't know how to ride a bike. You can't learn how to ride a bike until you get on a bike. And try to ride one. You can't discover what your gifting is until you step into a place of service. And as you serve, God gives you the grace to reveal those things that you're qualified more to do. Those things that come more naturally to you. Those things that you have more of a desire to do. Those things that you're more passionate about. There's a lot of people in this room that have absolutely no desire whatsoever to stand up here where I'm standing and to speak. I mean, they don't want to preach. They don't want to make an announcement about a bake sale. I mean, they, they don't want to do anything. Like, don't, don't give me the mic. Don't put me up front. That's not, that's not my gift. And you know what? That's fine. Because if everybody had that gift, who would say amen? Amen? There's a diversity of gifts. There's some, there's some people in this church that... They come every weekend or, or every other weekend and, and they serve in the nursery. 
And they take care of those babies. And it's a ministry. It's not babysitting. It's a grace on their life. They come to serve. They, they hold your children while we're in here worshiping. And they pray over them. They sing little songs like, yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. And those little kids, before they get out of our one and two year old nursery, they might not be able to explain the Romans road and the plan of salvation, but they know that Jesus loves me. They know that the Bible is is good. And they know that coming to church is fun. That's a ministry that our kids need. And some people have a grace for that. I tried nursery ministry once. Once. I don't have a grace for anybody's kids but mine. And when it comes to diaper, that grace only lasted about six months. And I was like, Are you, they're old enough to be potty trained now, right? I mean, you know, six months is old enough, right? How long are we going to do this? You know, when you got a one and a half year old still, you know, messing up diapers, I have no grace for that child. But some people have a grace to operate in different capacities. They're grace gifts. And let me just say this about the grace gifts and operating, using this metaphor of riding a bicycle. You know, I I didn't ride correctly the first time I got on a bicycle. In fact, I've fallen off many of bicycles in my life. But could you imagine this? Imagine that, that my father wanted to bless his grandchildren. So he bought my daughter a, a bicycle. And she got on that bicycle and she took off down the sidewalk. And then she wrecked and she fell. Now imagine if me, being her father, walked outside and picked up that bike and said, I can't believe that. And then I just threw that bicycle in the trash. So we're getting rid of that thing. That would, that would, be, that would be sad. It would be a shame. But you know... A lot of pastors and and a lot of churches have done that with the gifts of the Spirit. Because they saw somebody that was still trying to figure out how to pedal, fall. And maybe they operated in the gift, but they didn't exactly do it right. And they go, forget, we don't need that stuff in our church. Man, that just causes confusion. Out with prophecy, out with tongues, out with interpretation of tongues. We don't need that anymore. And they they just throw the whole bicycle away. But it was a gift. From our Father. The Spirit selected something for you to do. Selected something for me to do at the point of salvation. So that I could serve Him well. And so we need the church to be an atmosphere where grace can operate. We need the church to be an atmosphere where people can learn and discover their gifts. Because gifts of the Spirit are cultivated in the soil of grace. Not judgment. Not harshness. Not condemnation. But a place of grace. You know, upstairs this morning, our kids are going to be breaking into small groups at some point during this service. They may be in small groups right now. Those kids are going to have the opportunity to pray for one another. There's a lot of kids up there that go, I don't don't know how to pray. But there's grace in that moment in a smaller setting for them to learn how to pray. We experience that all the time on Wednesday nights. Can I just, I know our time is getting away from us, but can I just appeal to you? If you you don't know your gifting You don't really know how God wants to flow through you. You know how he's worked for you in salvation. You understand that God's working in you for sanctification. But the idea of God working through you to minister to other people is just out there too far. And you don't really know how that works. Can I tell you that our Wednesday night prayer gathering from 7 to 8 o'clock every week is a place where 
we allow training wheels, if I could say it that way. It's a place where you can discover the gift of God in your life. You can, you can crash and fall and get back up again. Because it's a gathering of believers. And, and, and if, you, if you fall or you, you try to allow God to use you to speak to somebody and then it, it doesn't go right, you know, we're, we're not, we're not going to lose our faith and lose our trust in God. No, we're going to say, hey, you know what? They're, they're growing in grace. They're growing in grace. But we discover those gifts by exercising them. Here's the thing about the gifts of God in your life. Now, I've got to be honest. I don't ride bike too often anymore. But when I do have to get somewhere and a bicycle is my only mode of transportation, I never think about how to ride a bike. How about you? I just think about where I'm going. That's where God wants you to get in your spiritual gifts. You don't have to think about how to use the gift. You just think about where you're going. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to train you and equip you so that when an opportunity for ministry comes, you go, how do I pray for someone? No, you don't say, how do I pray for someone? You just go and you, you just be the vessel that God uses to administer His grace in that moment. Or if God speaks a word to you about someone, just an encouragement, a word of... To, uh, exhort them, to challenge them, to lift them up, to encourage me. That's the gift of prophecy. And you're not wondering, I don't, I don't know how to prophesy. Should I say, thus saith the Lord? Should I try to speak in King James English? All that stuff. No, you just, you just operate in the gift. As easy as riding a bicycle. You just do the thing that God called you to do in the moment that he called you to do it. You find your grace. Nobody back there in the back is trying to figure out how to change diapers this morning. I can promise you, they're good at it. Like they're good at it. And they're not, they're not reminding themselves you know, to, to love children. They, do, they just love children. And it comes so fluid and so easy to them. It, it, it's a grace on their life. And there's things that God's graced you to do. Maybe you're not walking in it yet, but I can promise you, if you'll begin to exercise the gifts of the Spirit in your life, you'll begin to see God's blessing upon it. Let me give you the fifth and final thing. That's the deployment of the gifts. That's the deployment of the gifts. Here's what the Bible says. One of my favorite verses in First Peter Chapter 4, verse 10. Look at this on the screen. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. There's so much truth in that one verse. First of all, it doesn't say for those of you that received a gift. It says, each of you use the gift you have. So there's an understanding, and we've already gotten that far, that you have a gift. A gift that was given for the purpose of serving others, not for yourself. If you've ever seen somebody that took the gift of God and used it to build their own kingdom, we know that doesn't go well, right? When people have pride and arrogance and a haughty spirit, the Bible says a haughty spirit goes before a fall. And pride leads to destruction. Now honestly, we quote that verse wrong sometimes. We say pride goes before a fall. That's not what it says. It said pride goes before destruction. Because if I fall, I hurt myself. But if I have destruction, I hurt everybody else. So we have to be careful to walk in the right spirit of service with the gift. I'm not, I'm not up here to build a name for myself. I'm not up here to, to have people know who I am or what I do. I'm up here to serve you this morning. The bread from heaven. I'm here to serve you as your pastor. And that's the attitude that, that we should take in whatever our gifting is. He says, as faithful stewards 
of God's grace in its various forms. As I look at each of you operate in your gifting, I'm seeing the manifold grace of God, the angle, the different sides and the aspects of God's grace. It's so multifaceted. It's like a prism that you hold up to the light. It just shoots out grace all over the room in different colors. That's the grace of God illuminated through the life of his people, the church. He says, we demonstrate the grace of God in its various forms. And there's a word in there that is really important. In 1 Peter 4.10, the word is stewards. All of life is a stewardship test. It's a stewardship test. And you have a responsibility, not just an opportunity. Thank God for the opportunity, but you have a responsibility, according to God's word, to steward the grace of God in your life. The grace to serve others. To demonstrate grace in its various forms. You have to steward that. Can I just tell you this morning. There's nothing that you can do. To make God love you any more. Than he already does. Nothing. And let me say this because this is equally true. There is nothing that you can do. To make God love you any less. Than he already does. But it doesn't mean that he's pleased with you. See, here's what we do. We say, God loves me. His love is unconditional. God, God, he, he loves me, and he does. It doesn't matter what I do. He loves me because I'm his child, and he does. But we mistake the love of God with the pleasure of God. See, the truth is there's nothing that my daughters could do to make me love them any more or love them any less. But there's been plenty of times where I was not pleased. With what they did. And there's other times where they bring me so much pleasure. They bring me so much joy. I don't love them more in those moments. It's not even possible. But their actions. They bring pleasure to my heart. So I want to end here. In helping you understand. The responsibility. That you and I have towards grace. Though it sounds like a little bit of a contradiction because grace is free and grace is lavish and you can't, you can't afford it. But yet we have a responsibility towards grace. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. He said, so we make it our goal to please him. Is that your goal? We make it our goal to please God. That's our desire, he said. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Our goal is to please God. Look at the next verse up here. Verse 10. He said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, for the things that we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. Do you know that's going to be a future reality for the church? We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things that we did in our body. Now, this is, this, is not, this is not the great white throne judgment for those that have to be accountable for their sin. Our sin is under the blood. We celebrated that at the table of the Lord today. We don't have to, as the people of God, we don't have to tremble in fear about standing and giving an account for our sin. When God goes to look at all of our sins, He's not going to be able to see it because the blood of Jesus has covered our sins. But there's another judgment 
that Paul's talking about here. Several other places in Scripture talk about it. And a lot of times, as the people of God, we forget about this other judgment. And that's a judgment that says we're going to give an account for everything that was done in the body. But this judgment seat should not be looked at as a judicial bench. This is not a right or wrong, uh, pass or fail, come into heaven or be banished to eternal judgment. No, this is, this is not a judgment seat. This is a reward bench. And, and Paul grabs the illustration. You know, the Olympics started this weekend. And, and everyone's watching the Olympic Games. Well, the, the games, the Greek games in Athens was very much a part of the culture when Paul the Apostle was writing to the churches. Everyone was familiar with the games. And, and so he grabs this analogy of the judgment seat from what you see in the Olympics. As the contestants would come and, and stand before uh, the judgment seat, they wouldn't, it wasn't condemned. I mean, if you lost the race, they weren't going to shoot you. It was to judge you on what kind of a reward you were going to get. You're going to get a gold reward? You're going to get a bronze reward? It's, this is the judgment seat that the Bible says is coming in our future. We're going to have an opportunity to be rewarded before Jesus for the things that we did in the body. So let me just give you another verse of scripture as we bring this thing to a conclusion this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's talking about this moment. He's talking about the moment you're going to have, moment that I'm going to have as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the grace that was given to work through us. Grace for service. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, he appropriately begins with these words, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. Now, his gift was the apostle. So he started the church. By the grace of Jesus, he operated in his gift. And he laid a foundation. Now somebody else with the gift of the pastor is coming and they're pastoring. They're building on the foundation that he established. And then he says this, but each one should build with care. And that's the word to us today. Build with care. For no one, he says, can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation. He says in verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation, Jesus Christ, using Gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, capital D, the day, he's talking about the day of the coming of the Lord. The day will bring it to light. There's going to be a day where everything you built with your life, with your time, with your gifts, is coming to light. And he says, it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Now, he's not talking about hell. He's not talking about punishment. He's talking about the way that you would test the quality of precious metals. You stick them in the fire to see what impurities rise to the top and are, and are scooped off so that you have what remains, what is pure remains. He says, it's going to be tested. All you did, you're... You're using the graces of service in your life. It's going to be tested with fire to see the quality of your work. Now look at verse 14. He says, if what has been built survives that test, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer 
loss. But yet, he will be saved. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. It's a sobering picture. It should also be a a moment that we look forward to. The Bible says that if I spend my, my grace, the grace that was so lavishly given to me, not just saving grace or sanctifying grace, but grace that God gave me to serve you, and I don't do it right, I don't do it well. Instead of serving you, I serve myself. I just want to build my own kingdom. I just want to enjoy, enjoy a good life for me. And it's not about using the grace of God. I'm building with wood, hay, and stubble. And when I stand before the judgment seat, And all that I've done is tested by fire. In a moment, a life that was built on those standards is going to be consumed. And and what's to show for the work that you've done? Nothing. Nothing. And the Bible gives us this, this peace of mind. That the grace that saved you, saved you. Just because you squandered your talent, you didn't do anything to bless anybody but yourself, it doesn't mean you're going to hell because Jesus loves you and he died for you and you believe that and you confess that, you're saved. But you're going to get in as one who survived fire. You ever know anybody that survived a fire? Lost everything? Their house, their belongings consumed in fire? In that moment, you know that And they'll tell you the only thing that matters is that my family's safe. We're here. And I can tell you, that'll be what matters. The fact that you're getting into heaven and I'm getting into heaven. Trust me, that's what matters on that day. Whoa, man, it's going to be awesome. But if we just get in like that and we miss out on the opportunity that God had a storehouse of rewards for us. He wanted to put a gold medal around your neck. He wanted to give you a crown. He wanted to honor you. And that's the Bible tells this beautiful picture of what it's going to be like as we gather around and we begin to worship. And the Bible says they're casting down their golden crowns. What is that? God, in His grace, rewarded us for the fact that we lived for Him, that we served Him. And what else could we do in that moment except take the most precious possession that we have, the very thing He just gave and said, God, I just give it back to you. I want to tell you, when I get to that moment of worship, I want to have a crown to lay at his feet. Can you imagine that holy moment of being in the presence of Jesus and people are worshiping and they're saying, everything I did, I did it for you. And they're laying their crowds down and, and you're there going, I'm so glad I'm saved. Thank you that you, you accepted me. Thank you that you, you allow me to be here. I, I wish I had something that I could show for my life. But I didn't. I didn't use the grace. That you gave me to serve. God's grace is so amazing. God's grace is astounding. Because it saves us. And if it did nothing else. That would be enough. And we would sing and shout about it every weekend. Until Jesus comes. Or, or we go to the grave. It would be enough. But it doesn't just save us. It sanctifies us. We become more like Jesus. Titus 1 says. The grace that saved us teaches us how to say no to sin and unrighteousness. But it goes beyond that. God's grace gifts us. Not just to work in us and for us, but to work through us. And my prayer for you today is that you would just open your heart in a closing moment of prayer. I I want to just have a moment of, of consecration.
That's a Bible word we use for things that have been set apart for a specific purpose. Setting things apart and saying, this is consecrated for the house of the Lord. I want this to be a moment of consecration from our hearts to say, God, use me. Let my life be for your service. So would you bow your head with me all over this room and, and close your eyes for just a moment. And I just want you to make an altar right there where you're seated. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Father God, I just thank you that as I, as I share this hour with, with your people, with the body of Christ, I thank you that every gift, every resource that we need to be the church you've called us to be, to do the works you've called us to do, everything that we need, it's in the house. It's here right now embodied in the church Lord you've equipped us and if we'll just walk in the grace that saved us we'll fulfill incredible exploits beyond what we could think or imagine we'll see you do greater works in us because we walk in grace God, I pray today that this, this church, Lord, let it be, let it be an atmosphere. Let it, let the soil of this church be infused with grace so that giftings can be cultivated. God, I rebuke a spirit of criticism or condemnation that would come against anyone, young or old, that would discourage us from learning to walk in the grace of service. God, I thank you for the plan and the purpose that you have for each and every one of our lives. Now, I just want you to make it personal with him today, church. God, I, I give you, I give you my life because I realize you gave it to me and all of life is about stewardship and one day, God, you're going to ask, you're going to ask that I give an account for the incredible talent you gave me for the health that you gave me, for the family, for the finance that you gave me. And Lord, most importantly, for the precious gift that the Holy Spirit handpicked for me when I got saved. You gifted me for service. God, one day I know I'll give an account for what I've done in this body. So Lord, today, I consecrate my life again. I give it back to you, God. I say, I want to be used by you. I want to serve you. God, teach me by your Holy Spirit, by the example of others, brothers and sisters in Christ. Teach me how to walk in the grace of service. Lord, give me the boldness to try something I've never done before. Because experience is a great teacher. And this is a safe place to fall off the bike. So God, give me the boldness to be used by you, to love others, to serve others. God, I thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace that covers us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me today all over this room? As we get ready to close this service.